Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. Another episode of Leaving a Legacy. No Patrick this week. I am sorry to disappoint all you Pat stands out there. He is enjoying some nice quality time with his wife. So just remember when those votes go out for your favorite podcast house, uh, just remember that Pat would rather be uh, smooching his wife than hanging out with all you nerds. And I think that'll settle your choices for you. <laughs> but it's okay. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Pat is not here to hold me back, so I get to talk about my favorite legacy deck in the format. We haven't actually had a uh, episode on this deck in, I think, almost two years, because we try and hold back. But it's no bars hold now. Uh, welcome to the cast, Mr. Andrew Fiedler, to talk about some show-and-tell action. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here. Definitely, definitely. Thanks so much for coming on. Awesome to have you. Uh, you just took down the NRG, or NRG Nerd Rage Gaming, 106-person uh, legacy tournament, piloting uh, everyone's favorite uh, uh, Urza's Saga Sorcery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, it turns out uh, putting Gears of Random Play, drawing a million cards is pretty good. Still pretty good. Yeah, check, ch- checks out. Checks out. Still pretty good. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Um, well, yeah, I just I really wanted to talk about uh, your list because it's kind of a uh, represents, for, at least from my point of view, a uh, shift in the show and tell meta. And also, it's this is you know one of the few major legacy tournaments that we are uh, seeing right now since you know as everyone knows we're still in the depths of coronavirus. Um, but before we get into all that, can you just kind of let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, Andrew? You know, how you got into Magic, how you got into Legacy, you know, if Legacy's your usual go-to format, or if not, you know, what, what you're kind of drawn to? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I first got introduced to Magic, uh, when I was a junior in college, and some of my friends were playing cards on the floor in a dorm room, and... I was like, come on, you know, there's got to be something better to do. And they said, no, you, you would really like this game. <laughs> I was like, come on, you know, let's go. They were like, no, 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 just sit down and try it. And I was just immediately hooked. Like, they gave me elves, and it, after after an hour or two, I, I was very adept at creating armies of little green men. And uh, so that was my introduction to Legacy. Just started playing in college for fun with friends. Um, I graduated and came back to my hometown, went to my local shop, and spent a few years... Uh, working on becoming the F and M N boss, uh, nice. so that was uh, you know, and, and and that's that's where I got a taste for you know playing Magic competitively. I I really really enjoy that side of the game. Um, not that you know the social stuff uh, is also awesome, uh, but I get a real hit off uh, off playing competitively. I really really enjoy it. So uh, yeah, I mean, did that for a few years locally, and then started traveling to tournaments, um, and really. 
I didn't start playing Legacy until I qualified for a Star City Games Invitational, and Legacy was a format, and I didn't have any Legacy cards because I just started playing Magic. And so one of my friends said, hey, yeah, you know, I, have, I can build you whatever deck you want. You know, what do you want to play? And I said, well, I, I don't know. You know, what would you play? And he said, well, you know, this deck's really powerful, show and tell. Um, and Gristlebrand had just, this was uh, like 2014. Mm. And he was like, you know, this deck's really powerful. I think you'll really like it. You know, you should try it. And I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. If I remember that time frame, that was around the time when show and tell players were running Caracas in their sideboard for the mirror match because, like, that's how powerful the deck was in the meta at the time. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some of that. It was it was it was crazy because I I mean I just didn't know anything about Legacy going into this event, and um, so we practiced like the couple weeks leading up to the event and uh, felt really really good about my standard deck, uh, but I had really had no idea what I was doing in, in Legacy, and um, I, I I missed day two because at the time. I didn't realize that Gristlebrand is better than Emrakul. Yes, um, yeah, that's an easy mistake to make for uh, for a newcomer to the deck. I didn't know, uh, but a- after it, I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" If I would put, oh, I put him down fourteen cards, and there's no way he could have beat me. And then um, I was pretty hooked, like on the deck after that. I yeah, I've tried a lot of other decks over time, but there's something about drawing all those cards. Um, <laughs> And, and and I love, you know, that you get to play with the blue cards, which I think are pretty clearly some of the best ones uh, to be playing with. If your deck has Brainstorm and Force of Will, you're probably doing all right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from there, I've just played Legacy whenever I can. I, I, I try to, you know, go to events that I can drive to, and I live in northern Indiana, so, you know, I'll drive a few hours here and there to, to try and hit an event. But, you know, there's not that many Legacy events, you know, that are within striking range, as it were. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of an awkward area of the country now that I'm thinking about it. Like there isn't like, it's a little bit too far away from the star city events, a little bit too far away from the new England events. Probably like, I don't know how close you are to like the Missouri events. I don't really know that part of uh, us geography gets a little fuzzy for me. (laughs) I'm just awkwardly right in the middle. Like, so definitely to go out to the new England States is just too far, you know, it'd take a whole day to drive out there. Um, so I'm really limited to like, I can drive up to stuff in Chicago, um, stuff in Michigan, stuff in Indianapolis, sometimes in, in Ohio, but other than that, everything else is a lot farther of a drive. Um, so I have played a ton of SCG events, but they don't run Legacy that often. Um, so in terms of big Legacy events, I haven't got a chance to play in that many really big Legacy events. Um, so, uh, But I've played tons of SCGs. Uh, I've gone to every GP I can drive to. Um, so yeah, that's nice. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Now tell me about this uh, NRG tournament. You know, how did you find out about it? What was so? This was online, but it was on Magic Online. It wasn't a paper event, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so NRG runs events, um, and they just you know they're they're kind of getting into the running uh, tournament series. And so I decided this year, okay, that one's going to be a little bit easier, a little bit more consistent for me to go to. Uh, I had stuff ramping up with my job, and so rather than trying to go to SCG events, which they end up being too far away anyway, I can't really compete on the circuit, I thought, hey, I'll just I'll play the NRG series. Um, and so I was doing that this year, and so I follow them pretty closely, and so when I saw they were doing a legacy event online, I was like, this is, I mean, I'm in. Can't nice. Wait. Yeah. Awesome. So how how did the actual tournament work? Did they have, like, a pairings website, and then you just, like, started a friendly match with that person? Yeah, so they used um, MTG Melee, which is pretty cool, like, 
site for tournament organizers. And so it, it makes all the pairings and, and you get notifications like they can even text you when your match comes up. Um, and yeah, you get paired with somebody and then you can see each other's deck lists, um, which changes the tournament a lot because uh, you know what they could, you know, you know right. what they could have coming in, um, yeah, which is pretty interesting. I but remember I, that. That that was my favorite thing about the Pro Tour was that we got to see deckless and like it really does just like change the name of the game. Like it just it it feels like a different game because now you have like all these things floating around in the back of your head that you got to watch out for. And for a deck like Sneak and Show, that's a huge leg up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, knowing if you should just go for it on turn one, like and like how likely they are to have exactly how likely they are to have counter magic or or yep. you know if they could put. I mean. Gosh, yeah, yeah, I'll go off on turn one. Here's my Gristlebrand. Oh, yeah, well, I'll put an Emrakul. Oops, okay, I just lost. Uh, so, getting like, there's no getting like blind smacked by a uh, Oblivion Ring off a of Show and Tell. Like, I've had like the most. When you play Show and Tell, you see some of the most random cards in Magic's existence because people just have these like troll cards in their sideboard and they're waiting for the Show and Tell player to wait. come along. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And it's, uh,. I, I think it's generally better. Um, I feel like it levels the playing field a little bit. I mean, some people are going to want to stream. So, you know, if you if you don't have deck lists, then that kind of... I mean, look, people who want to can go find all the streams and figure out what people are playing. I mean, that's that's kind of unfair. I mean... Yeah, it's I, I, I like that style where it's just like, you know, we're going to level the playing field by just giving everyone 100% information. Like, we yeah. could try and restrict it, but then that just gives an advantage to the people who, you know, squeak it by anyways. So, you know, just put it all out in the open, and that way everyone has the same advantages. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, playing the event on MTG Melee, I look forward to doing more events. It was super easy. You know, you just you sign into the thing, and you get on a screen where it tells you what the pairings are. It just shows you all the information you need right there. Um, super convenient. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's, you know, you got to do the friendly challenge. So, you know, you have to monitor the time yourself because it gives you too much time in the round. Um, but yeah, I think it's super easy to use and I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's not that different from a paper tournament. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely seen the people where like, Oh, by the way, guys, time was called like 10 minutes ago. What turn is this? And they're like, uh, now it's <laughs> zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's awesome. I'm glad it was it was easy. I'm glad NRG had a successful tournament series. You know, definitely hope they uh, they keep it up and keep running it because at 106 people, this is the largest uh, tournament we've had other than the uh, MTGO challenges. Yeah, um, and they are actually going to be successful in doing it. I think they just announced that they're doing a series this fall, and the very first tournament is Legacy. Hell so yeah! I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, I will have to, I'll have to register. I'm I'm bummed I didn't learn about this one until it was already over. And uh, looking at the top eight, there was some pretty stacked to- uh, competition in the top eight. Uh, we got friend of the cast Adam Wallace coming in third with elves. Uh, also Topher Stinson, who's another friend of the cast, he came in fifth with Rug Delver. Uh, Ethan Formicelli on Doomsday, who's pretty well known. Uh, Theodore Jung as well. Uh, and then I'm not as familiar with uh, the other three: Patrick Green, Pedro, uh, Piera, and Wataru uh, Yoshimura. I'm mangling these names. I apologize, but <laughs> noble um, effort, noble effort, noble. That's what counts. That's what counts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely some some good talent in the room and a pretty diverse uh, top eight. We got you on Sneak and Show in first, of course. 
we have Patrick Green on four color Snoko, uh, Adam Wallace on Elves, Theodore Jung on Rug Delver, Topher Stinson on uh, Rug Delver, uh, Wataru on Death and Taxes, which I'm I'm guessing you're pretty glad that you dodged. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pedro on Bant, and finally Ethan on Doomsday, making it into the top eight. Man, oh man, Doomsday. I, <laughs> I played against Doomsday twice in this event. Real? Um, same person? Uh, no, different pilots, but I've never played against the deck. And yep. and honestly, you know, since quarantine, I've barely played any Legacy, so I really kind of wasn't aware of it. And when I saw the deck list, I was like, "Holy crap! <laughs> we're, we're casting Doomsday. We're we're doing yep, it. We're doing it. So, we're doing it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a cool yeah, deck. It has been getting a uh, uptick in popularity. We covered it on an episode a couple months ago. Uh, but yeah, Th- Thassa's Oracle just really made that deck, uh, you know, viable again because yeah, it basically died out when Sensei's Divining Top got banned, and it was just unplayable. Mm-hmm. And then Thassa's Oracle comes along, and now all of a sudden the deck has legs again. So it's cool see- seeing it, uh, you know, make the top eight. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we kind of get into the matchups and everything, I just wanted to go over your deck list because. You eschewed from what had been kind of the standard in the meta for a while of blue-green uh, show-and-tell being the deck of choice for show-and-tell players. Basically, when Veil of Summer came along and Oko uh, and Uru to a le- uh, lesser extent, uh, all the show-and-tell players basically cut red and went over to the blue-green side with the uh, Ice Fang Coatles as well, but... Now, yours is actually the first uh, blue-red sneak and show deck that I've seen, you know, make top eight of a major tournament in, in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have played uh, the versions with Tropicals and Veil of Summer, uh, and they're okay, um, but I think that this version, generally I feel more confident playing it when I don't really know what's going on in Legacy, because having the option to Omniscience and Cunning Wish gives you way more lines. Um, I mean, it's certainly better against death and taxes, which, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I didn't know kind of what to expect in this tournament at all, because like you pointed out, there really haven't been that many big events. Um, yeah. So if I'm unsure of what the exact meta is, I tend to gravitate towards this list that sort of shaves on, uh, you know, a little bit on everything to give you that extra win con. Yeah, I mean, basically my, my view of the decks is the blue-red version's a bit more brute force, and the blue-green version's a bit more defensive, you know, buy time with your ice fangs, sculpt the perfect hand, and then, you know, win when the conditions are just right, whereas blue-red sneak and show just kind of cannonballs and hopes it turns out all right. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I have I have played just normal sneak and show with the Tropical Island and with the Veil of Summers. I have not played the version with the ice fang quaddles, so... You'll you'll have to tell me what you think of it because I've been thinking hmm, maybe I should give that a try. Uh, but you know after after this finish I felt this deck felt really good. I, I don't know it would take a lot to convince me to register something different. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I just feel in the meta right now the stock of Veil of Summer has gone way down, and we talked about this a bit on the last episode with uh, Brian Cook that um, you know Veil of Summer was almost too good at its job. Like, Veil of Summer was so good at shutting down all, like, the discard uh, decks um, and protecting the common decks that people, like, stopped attacking it from that angle. And now, because people aren't attacking it from that angle, Veil of Summer doesn't have as much to do. And I'll often find that in my matches where I'm playing the blue-green version, where I'm just sitting on, like, 
dead Vale of Summers, and I'm going into like game after game after game and against decks where it's just like a completely dead card. And even the matchups where it is a live card, the opportunities to use it are are a bit fewer and far in between. Yeah. So I could definitely see going back to the blue-red version if the meta is kind of going more in that area, you know, basically take advantage of the lack of discard uh, right now and, you know, get those really fast, easy wins with the blue-red deck, but... I think I will miss Ice Fang Coatl. Man, I love that card so much. If if Wizards ever prints a blue-red Baleful Strix, it is going in Sneak and Show so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely need to give it a try because uh, it does look fun. It's a different different way of playing it for sure. I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the Make Them Have It uh, line of play with these with these decks. Yeah, so the, the Ice Fang, you still can make them have it. It's just like. You don't just auto lose to those matchups where your opponent just like gets a turn one Delver and then blind flips it, right. and now it's just like I just don't have time to combo off and like combo through their hate. So it's just nice in those those sorts of matchups. For sure, yeah. Uh, um, taking a look at your list, uh, your list looks looks pretty stock. Like, is this kind of what the same list you've been running for a while with it, or how how much uh, you know engineering did you put into the deck before the tournament? So I've been running the more all-in version for quite a while. Um, I came back to this deck because I hadn't played Legacy for a while. Uh, I actually have this deck mostly foiled out in paper. Good um, man. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> I've been playing it, you know, ever since I started playing Legacy, this has kind of been my deck. So I'm really comfortable with it. I know all the lines. I know exactly how to sideboard with it. And I just felt like, you know, there's probably a little more... For me, the flexibility of this was just appealing over just the straight-up blue-red version. Right. Um, but I, I have been playing that blue-red version for a while, and I think that that version is a little bit better um, when there's more Delver decks. I think this one sometimes can be harder to put together your combo. You need different pieces, and if there's more counter spells, it's more annoying. Um, but, again, my main decision point for choosing this version was just because I'm so comfortable with it. I've played it so much. Nice. Uh, looking at your sideboard, your sideboard is basically a four-card sideboard, and then the other 11 slots are just straight Cunning Wish toolbox. So you got yep. the two Besaju, and then the two Pyroclasm as actual sideboard cards, and then everything else is a one-of uh, Cunning Wish target. Uh, I do like the the one-of Lightning Bolt as a Cunning Wish target. That's pretty spicy. That, I like that. Yeah, um. <laughs> it's nice to have it, and I mean, a lot of times I'll just end up bringing it in, because you want more sweepers uh, in the main mm. against some of these decks that are going wide, uh, and more interaction with, like, you know, oh, I'm going to put down this bear that shuts your deck off, so uh, nice to have a little more of that. Definitely, definitely. Uh, now, that's always kind of a big, uh, you know, decision point for uh, toolbox sideboard players, and, you know... How often do you bring in that silver bullet card? Because you want to have access to, to it in the deck, but by bringing it in, you increase your speed in that you can draw it without having the Cunning Wish and taking a turn off to Cunning Wish for it. But when you have the Cunning Wish and you don't have this card in hand, you know you feel like you're kicking yourself because you did have the perfect answer, but you don't. You basically turned it off for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what you alluded to. I mean, I'll bring it in when the de when I know the deck I'm playing against is going to be so fast that I don't have time to go mm -hmm. Cunning Wish. So if I know there's going to be a lot of back and forth and it's a good card, then I'll leave it in the board. But if it's gonna if they're just going to slam guys and, and make me answer them, I don't want to have to take the time. So that that's when I bring it in. Yeah. 
And now, looking at your sideboard also, it looks like uh, you have no fear for the Reaper. Uh, you have a single surgical extraction as uh, graveyard hate in your sideboard. Other than that, you're just... You don't care what your opponent's doing with the graveyard. Yeah, you know, I think that generally I'll play some number of cages uh, in this build of the deck, but mm -hmm. I felt like Busiju was going to serve me better in this event. Um, you know, you can beat the graveyard decks without graveyard hate with with show and tell just because you just go right over the top of them. Um, so yeah, I definitely like made that call going into this. I was like, yeah, I'd rather have two Busiju. Um, and a lot of these other slots, I feel like there's not a whole lot of flexibility. Some of them you yeah. just kind of have to have. So it's like, which do I expect to face more of? And I definitely have seen people favoring these control decks where they just post board, bring in all these counters. Uh, and when they don't have wasteland, <laughs> procedure is quite the, uh, quite the beating <laughs> against them. So it's too true. Way too true. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, like Through the Breach is kind of a flex spot, but I know a lot of people like having access to that. Um, Love it. I won a game with it in the event. Like Nice. Just, yeah. like, in-step, get it, put this guy in, kill you. It just, it's all, like, you think Through the Breach is the greatest until that one time when you Cunning Wish Through the Breach, Emrakul, and then you just don't have any follow-up and you still end up losing the game. Yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah. like, damn it, I'm cutting Through the Breach. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a uh, sneak attack, right? It's one-time sneak attack. I mean, yeah. it could be better than that. That's how, I, that's how I've always looked at it. It's, it's a like, sneaking, it's a sneak attack that can be cunning-wished for. That's right, yep. <laughs> Plus, you can get the uh, the sweet full art versions. Oh, yeah. I have, uh, I have most of my foils, like anything that's um, Amaket Inventions is, so I have all those Hell foil yeah. versions. So they're really, it's all my, like, <laughs> sideboards, like, super cool-looking. Mine too. All, all my um, uh, all my omnisciences are the Amon Kent because yep. I just love the feeling of like show and telling, putting it into play, and my opponent going, "Wait, what's what this is card? this card?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Really like, no one ever no one ever recognizes it, and then they pick it up, and then you see their face drop. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yep. That it's actually not. I'm pretty sure everybody asked what it is. They're like, "Wait, what did you put in?" <laughs> oh man, this this is what gets sneak and show players their jollies, listeners. This you're getting the inside track. <laughs> it's good times. Yep. Oh man. Uh, anything else about the deck you kind of want to bring our attention to before we kind of go through the the matchups? Uh, I think like with this build, people people go back and forth. I I've seen people go with like three lotus petal. I've seen people cut the mountain, run extra soul lands. I've always found the mountain super important. Um, and I also don't like going to three Lotus Petal because, as I mentioned a little earlier, I like to make people have it, and four Lotus Petals gives me the most chances of doing that. So I tend to keep those two cards, and I'd rather shave on something else. Um, I, I'm the same way. Like, four Lotus Petals just don't make sense to me, just from a probability standpoint. Like, you want this in your opening hands. Like, Lotus Petals value goes down significantly after the first turn. Why right. would you go to three Lotus Petals on it? Why would you go to three of any card that you absolutely want in your opening right. hand? Yeah, totally. So, I, I mean, I think that there's there's only a few... I mean, if you're building this version of the deck, there's only, like, three or four cards in the main deck that you can really argue about. Um, yeah. and, th and those are the two for me. I mean, I, I think I would never go below four Lotus Petal. Um, and for me, the Mountain's been too valuable to be able to get... It, it, I'm playing through, like, the Death and Taxes heyday when, like, every other matchup was a Death and Taxes match. Uh, that really taught me the value of just having Mountain because mm -hmm. being able to Scalding Tarn for a Mountain when you just need to uh, 
um, and not having it get wastelanded out from under you is just like it's the difference between winning and losing so many matches. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, playing playing this in paper over the years and especially at local events, there's so many. Like, I feel like there's more death and taxes, which is probably why I've played more with this deck than any other version because it's got a better death and taxes matchup than the than the straight up blue, you know, just uh, four of everything out. version. Yeah, so. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I resisted the Cunning Wish build for a long, long time. Like, if you go back to my post back in like 2017, 2018, I used to shit on this version of the deck because the the straight Sneak and Show version is just like so much faster and consistent. But when Death and Taxes started rearing its head, like you just you really need the Cunning Wish as just that alternate win condition because otherwise you get you just get bogged down in containment priests and ensnaring bridges and all this annoying stuff that if you just had Cunning Wish, you would be able to beat. Yeah, and the other thing that I love about this build is just that you just have answers randomly, uh, and I'll talk about some of those because I had a couple of those in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but like, you, people just have no idea that you could do this, right? I mean, they even uh, have my deck list, and they just don't think about, oh, yeah. no. Uh, my, my favorite for that's Trick Bind. I'm guessing oh, yeah. you have some good Trick Bind stories. I, I, I have one good Trick Bind story from this event, yes. Excellent, so, excellent. Yeah, yeah I want to hear it. Let's Let's go. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I mean matchups. Uh, I played against a little bit of everything. Um, very first matchup I played was Mono White Soldiers. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, I was pretty surprised to see it, and I thought I was playing against Death and Taxes until he played whatever that Kithkin Soldier is. Um, I wonder if you were playing. Oh, what is her name? She she was famous for playing the the Mono White Soldiers. I want to say Chase Chase something. I forget, but sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I don't, I can't recall. I mean, I didn't talk to the to the player that much or, or take note of like, uh, you know, any kind of mental note. I could go back and look, but yeah, it was, uh, it was like mom Thalia, and I was like, great. And then it was like this, this sold this Kithkin soldier thing, and I was like, okay, we're not playing it. That's, in, that's in Texas. <laughs> we'll be fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, we. Uh, that was a pretty easy match. I mean, the deck can't really deal with with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Next next matchup I played was Jund Lands, um, which I, I mean I've played tons and tons against Lands, and the reason is because I had this period of time where a friend of mine uh, and I would get together for lunch uh, every single day almost and just play Legacy. So like I would take a break, he would take a break, we'd meet up, uh, we'd like eat a salad super fast and just jam Legacy, and we built these different decks and. Uh, you know, we could build lands, storm, elves, and uh, show and tell. So I played tons of this matchup be- just because of that, uh, and I've always kind of felt like it's pretty well favored against it, um, which is kind of how this one went down as well. Uh, I mean, it didn't really feel like much of a contest. I just kind of got to do my thing, put omniscience in, and mm-hmm. you know, kill them. Were they packing a lot of discard, or did they just not draw it, or not? He had um. He had a little bit of discard in the deck, but he didn't draw it. He played in the second game. He had he he had, he sided in some discard spell, but it wasn't even close to enough. Like he didn't have a way to kill me. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know I fetched some basics and you know just uh, did my thing. So nice, cool. Uh, let's see round three, uh, Rug Delver, which is you know any of the Delver decks is always going to be a, a tough matchup. Um, and I played against a different. Rug Delver in the top eight, um, but you know, in in round three, I kind of got a little bit lucky. Uh, things things went my way. I, I, we got into a point where um, I was able to emrical his board, 
and then it was just a top deck war, and then I drew a cantrip and then got to kill him. Um, so, you know. Yeah, per my experience with uh, the Rug Delver deck, at least, is that um, the matchup's gotten a few percentage points better, just because I feel the Rug Delver deck's gotten slower. Like, I am much more afraid of, like, a 2016 Rug Delver packing uh, Stifles and Delvers and Tarmogoyfs than I am of the current one running, like, Dreadhorde Arcanist and Okos, which, while very powerful cards, are a turn or two slower than their counterparts that they replaced. And that extra turn or two is honestly the difference in most of the matchups with that deck. Yeah, I agree with you totally, and it's interesting... That you mentioned that because the the two team or Delver decks that made the top eight were built differently. One of them ha was kind of more like the old version and had the stifles in it, and the other one did not. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to take a look at that when we get to the top eight. Um. So you uh, you were able to take out Rug Delver. Uh, what was after that? So this is where I played against Doomsday, uh, and you know I just it just wasn't on my radar at all. Like it didn't occur to me that this was a thing people were doing. Uh, because. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't played Legacy for a while, yep. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was really surprised. Like, I, I spent the first like minute just like reading his deck list. And I'm like, okay, like, what's he trying to do? He's got he's got counters, and he's gonna combo me. And uh, he did. He got me real good. I just didn't. He had a ton of just man. He just had he just had it. He just had the counter spells, and I couldn't go off, and he just beat me. There's there's levels of Doomsday when you first play against it. We're like, what is this deck? Okay, I think I have this deck figured out. I'm gonna counter this card, and then yeah. they win. It, and then they win anyways. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, well, and that was exactly the decision I had to make. Is like, what do I counter? Because after he, because I had one counter, and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I have to let him do this doomsday. Because if I just counter that, he's just gonna do it again. So I'm like, okay, fine. And then he cast this like uh, draw three, and then discard cards later. And I'm like, I have to counter oh, this. Uh, meditate. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's like a blue, it's like blue, blue, and you get to draw three. I'm trying to remember what the card is. Uh, hang on, let me, let me put up. Meditate's like draw three cards, skip your next turn. No, 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 it's like, uh, Ideas Unbound. Oh, Ideas Unbound. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. From, like, so, Kamigawa. Yeah, so he, he cast that, and I was like, alright, like, if this resolves, I'm losing. Like, he's gonna get three cards. He's gonna have discard, or he's gonna have a counter, so I'm like, counter this. Um... But then, like, his next card was just, like, good enough. Like, that was all I could do. I couldn't kill him the next turn, so he just yep. still killed me. Um, but, yeah, that deck was crazy. I, I was like, man, this is cool. Like, I, I could uh, see myself investigating this deck. It's it's similar, <laughs> you know, you know, you cast the, you cast a spell and do the thing, and then they're dead. Uh, it Yeah, I, I recommend it. It's a fun card. I, I've played it for a, a while on uh, uh, MTGO. It, uh... It's it's definitely a thinker deck, but I mean that's kind of the advantage of the deck. Kind of the one of the oldest truisms of Legacy, even going way back, you know, ten years ago, was uh, you know people always used to say that Doomsday was the best deck that no one knew how to play, <laughs> and that it was just such a the reason why its win its win its uh, win percentages were so low is that it was such a difficult deck that no one could really truly unlock its potential. And depending there's, on who you ask, <laughs> I mean, there, there's certainly a little truth to that because there's so many piles you can make. And I mean, right. there's definitely, you know, especially after sideboarding, like the number of things you can do, I think, I mean, you have to memorize your piles, but there's definitely some really weird situations you can get into where you're like, hmm, you know, what should I put? And, and then like doing the math for it, if you haven't done it for a long time, it's hard, you know, you have to think about like, okay, am I going to, oops, I just have one too few cards and I just killed myself. I've, yeah, uh, I've. You know, 
I've never timed out more time more with any deck other than Doomsday. Like you just like you go into this rabbit hole, and then like the thing I love about Thassa's Oracle being added to the deck is it digs you out of holes because I've just like bungled piles completely, or just like messed up my mana and not been able to pull it off, and then I'm just like, all right, I just need to stay alive for a turn and then play Thassa's Oracle next turn, and then I win anyways. And thankfully, more often than not, that's usually the case where I can just tank for a turn, place Thassa's Oracle, puts the band-aid over the boo-boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I The only experience I have playing with Doomsday is um, my one of my local shops announced that they were going to do Commander for FNMs. And uh, they were like, you know, there's going to be prizes. I was like, okay, well, challenge accepted. So I just built like, like Storm combo deck that wins with Doomsday. I memorized a few of the lines, and I just like went in and killed people on turn two and turn three. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of packs, and that was the end of that. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I, I memorized a few of the lines, but I think at the time, like Thassa's Oracle was not available. So I was doing like the old, you know, the old stuff where you have to figure out, okay, do I need a counter or not? Do I have a cantrip in hand? And like, how does all this stuff work out? And do I have the right mana? Like, yeah. What is, it? And then they banned Gataxian Probe, and that was also another nail in the coffin for it because that just Gataxian Probe just simplifies your piles by yeah, so much. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, it definitely a really cool deck. I, I need to check it out. For sure. So, uh, what round was that? Uh, was this round six? That was So, that was round four when I played Doomsday. Okay. And that, was, that was the first time I had, you know, that was my first loss. Um, and then the rest of the event, like, I sort of just put my head down and, like, didn't really... I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to win the rest of these matches. And uh, it was super funny to go back and watch the coverage because they were like, oh, you know, maybe that's a lock for top eight. Like, that didn't cross my mind. I was just like, I just have to win all these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, um, I that's played the, against... That's the best mindset set to have. You know, if you just put it out of your mind that you're even in contention for top eight, like, that prevents any, like, nerves from getting in the way or, like, anything like that. Uh, every time I've had success in a tournament, it's always come when I've just, like, not even considered, uh, you know, being in contention. I was just playing to play and, you know, I want to win this match. I'm not thinking about winning the tournament. I'm winning this match right now. Right, yeah. And, and I, I totally totally agree with that, and especially in bigger tournaments, like getting tunnel vision on some result or worrying about it, like it's just the next match. You just have to think about the next match. Always, yeah. always do the best when you do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, next two, uh, next two decks were Jeskai Control and Bant Miracles, um, rounds five and six, and I think, I don't really remember much about round five, except that in my notes I wrote that Besiege was an all-star. Uh, which kind of makes sense. Um, I think I just like beat him. I think I made him had it in game one. They didn't have a force of will, and I just won. And then game two, I just played Besiju and then cast it, and they couldn't counter it. Um, and yeah, uh, round six, I played against Bant Miracles, and I think from there, I was featured for a couple of matches. So if people want to go back and watch the coverage, um, I know NRG posted it. Um, oh, nice. So, you know, you can go and look at each round. But yeah, I was in round six, round seven, and then they didn't cover me in the first round of the top eight, but then semis and, and finals, I was uh, on camera. So you can go back and, and watch these, uh, you know, watch these matches. Um, but yeah, Bant Miracles, uh, pretty, pretty interesting game. Um, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going, going on and going back and forth, but at the end of the day, like once, I, the, both of those games just ended up and I drew Besiju and then and I won because they couldn't do anything about it. Um, yeah. So then uh, round seven, uh, which I think at this point I probably could have drawn into top eight. I, I Again, I wasn't thinking about the math. 
Um, but I just sat down and said, I got to win this match. And it was against Bant Infect. Uh, yeah, and, which is scary. Because, man, yeah. if they get that turn one guy down, ooh, man, it's hard to beat that. That's a nail bite. That's a nail biter. Yeah. Was... So, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy matchup. Um, he, uh, game one, he put me to, like, nine poison, I think. And Jeez. then I beat him the next turn. And, like, he just didn't, you know, he just didn't have the last point. Yeah. Um, and, just to- you know, he totally would have killed me if I didn't have it the next turn. Right. Uh, and then the next game... Uh, the next game, he went, uh, you know, turn one uh, elf, and I had a force with I was like, this is getting forced, and I forced it. And um, then I was able to win just two turns later, and he had, like, High Arc plus Ink Moth Nexus plus enough, enough pump spells to kill me. Uh, so, it, like, if that thing would have resolved, I would have just died on turn two. Right. Uh, which is insane. Uh, this, the, this infect deck is ridiculous. Um, but it was, it was cool. Uh, and, and it was a fun, it was fast, it was a fast match. Sweet. So, yep. So that was the, the last round of Swiss and then, uh, it was off the top eight. Wait, where's your trick bind story? I was promised a trick bind story. Trick bind story was off camera, uh, in, in round, uh, first round of top eight. So oh, I got, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so I got another chance at doomsday. Um, thankfully, because, and I felt pretty, pretty bad about, you know, it's like first time I played against it, you know, looking at the list and then he just crushed me. So I'm like, okay. And it was a different opponent. So it wasn't the same, you know, it wasn't uh-huh. the same person. So I, I'm, you know, I'm getting around like, okay, first round and I wasn't on camera. So the pressure was kind of off a little bit, you know, I was just like, all right, I just need to, you know, put my head down and figure out this match. Um, so game one, I won in rather unspectacular fashion. I had, you know, I think I turned two, uh, in, in a Gristle Brand Room laying cards, and there's not really anything you can do about that. So, uh, game two was more interesting. There was, um, there's a whole bunch of back and forth, uh, where, you know, we both had counter spells, and I tried to go off, and he stopped me. And then we got into the situation where I had Besiege you in play, and a Soul Land, and two other lands. And... Uh, he decided to doomsday, and he had, like, rituals and stuff, and I had a spell pierce, uh, but he always had enough mana to where, like, I couldn't stop him, and so he ended up, you know, casting doomsday and going off, and, like, he always kept the extra mana up, and he had a card in his hand, so I'm pretty sure that he had, um, a counter, like, he either had, like, a pyroblast or something, you know, he had something to stop, you know, if he, which is why he, you know, decided he could go off, and so, um, so the turn, I think it was the turn right before, so he cast the Doomsday, uh, and he passed, and I top deck a Cunning Wish. <laughs> yes! Yes! And so he just goes, you know, he just goes about his day, he, uh, he draw. he like, does, he, uh, he just draws card, draws card, and I'm like, this is fine, and then he, you know, he plays, uh, he gets down to, he, he drew, I think he, like, drew, drew, he played the first spell, drew a couple cards, got the Oracle, played the Oracle, hit zero cards in, in his deck. And so I'm just like, yeah, uh, besiege you my, you know, for my for my cunning wish, uh, and cast that, get the trick bind, uh, trick bind the oracle, and that was that because he lost <laughs> to Mill. <laughs> oh, 
got him. Got him. <laughs> and, you know, you know, feel bad for him because, you know, he's hold, he definitely is holding up his counter, right? And I'm just like, yeah, here's an uncounterable spell followed by a split-second split second spell. Uh, sorry. <laughs> blue, is, blue is a fair and balanced color. Blue so is a fair, fair. and balanced color. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is why we love, you know, man, playing this version of the deck, you can do stuff like And people just yeah. don't see it coming. Yeah, my deck list. I mean, I'm sure he knew I could do it, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, he didn't count on me having it, so... That's why my my favorite spicy one of in my uh, Cunning Wish sideboard is Mind Break Trap because Mind oh, yeah. Break Trap is the ultimate counter spell. <laughs> yeah, I love Mind Break Trap. I've played that card a ton in this deck. Uh, it's awesome. It looks nice and foil too. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So that was that was the first round of top eight. Uh, after that, looks like you versed uh, Topher on Rug uh, uh, Rug Delver. So no, I. I played against uh, or Theo. oh I'm sorry Theo I'm sorry yeah so it was the Rugdelver mirror match on the other side of the bracket right Theo beat Topher both of which on Rugdelver right and then yep. Theo is yep, who yep. first yep absolutely and I was a little bit confused about that too actually because they didn't tell us like how the brackets were exactly made and so when I put it up on camera I was like oh okay um, it definitely worked out because I, I the elves player beat the uh, um, Death and Texas player which is yep. Excellent, yeah. excellent job. <laughs> Adam clearing the path for you. Rooting for him all the way. Um, so yeah, the Rug Delver, you know, playing it again. Man, I'm telling you what, it was a it was a tough matchup. And I had some difficult plays. And it was, I, I you know, I love, one of the best things about Magic is that there's just always new things to learn and always ways you can improve. And so I love, you know, analyzing things and figuring out what I could have done differently. And tell you what, the commentators had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ideas for things I could have done different. And um, one of the things that they mentioned is something I'm curious to know what you think about is, you know, I had an opportunity to cast a brainstorm on an end step, and I only had two lands in play, but it was kind of these situations where I could go off the next turn if I wanted to, and I decided to not use the brainstorm mm-hmm. and because I thought, well, if he can stop me, I would rather have this brainstorm to use later. I had another fetch lane in my hand besides the one I had in play, so... You know, if I fetch and I go for it, and then he stops me, now I have Brainstorm Fetch to try to uh, refuel. And they were of the opinion that I should have used it um, to prepare for the combo turn, to try to get the best possible hand, you know, maybe get an extra counter or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been on the side of, you know, the longer you wait, the better it is. And I know that formula gets modified when you're playing a combo deck. Um, But I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, from the commentator's point of view, my what I've noticed is people always want the sneak and show player to be even more aggressive than they already are. <laughs> and like, I'll I'll watch commentator matchups where I'm just like, yeah, he should probably bide his time right here. And then the commentator's like, yeah, just jam it. We didn't come here not to jam it, boys. <laughs> I'm just like, while that's true most of the time, like, this is actually a situation where we should bide our time. Like, don't get me wrong, like, 95% of the time, jam it. But there yeah. are the there are situations where you should just wait. And, like, like did he have a Delver in play or any threat in play? Uh, he had a Delver. It wasn't flipped. Um, okay. So, you know, I, yeah. yeah. I, 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 you know, I sort of thought, I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, they're probably right in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much how much the formula is supposed to change when you're playing a combo deck versus you know just a run of the mill blue deck. Yeah, I don't think there's any particularly right answer in that situation. It comes more down to play style. Like I feel I definitely would have sat on it and waited, but I've also been 
playing the more mid-rangey blue-green version where you yeah. like you almost always wait with the blue-green right. version whereas like the blue-red version is you're kind of just like hail marrying like yeah let me brainstorm into a soul land show and tell and just like go off on you know on the draw right so I could see it both ways. Like if he if he had a flip Delver, that would definitely point me in that direction. Because if there's a clock, I just I need to get this off as soon as possible. And if I if he counters it, I need to set back up again as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But you know, if there's just an unflipped Delver, you know, I, I don't think I don't think you made a bad choice there. I think it, I think you made an opinion choice. Yeah, yeah, and, and that I you know I I definitely am. I try to save those brainstorms as long as possible, and I'm sure it. I'm sure that I win a few less games by waiting when I could have brainstormed and then had it. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of games where I just make them have it. I definitely play yep. the deck. I definitely play it really aggressively. I will try to make them counter it, um, and, unless it's like okay, I can easily go like next turn, and I'm going to have like force backup plus I can play for days. Okay, obviously you wait, but generally I would rather just jam it. Yeah. Right. Nice. So, but you did end up uh, taking down that matchup. How'd you uh, How'd you pull the win out? Uh, so it actually turned out it turned out to be kind of a, a longer match, and um, you know, it it was one of these things where um, I had a pretty tough uh, mulligan uh, in in the second game, and going into game three, you know, I had a hand with two Emrakles, and you just kind of like kind of have to kind of have to mulligan it unless the rest of it's great. Um, and when I mulled, I just had nothing. So, um, I had to go to five and I had another pretty interesting decision on my mold of five where I, you know, could have kept either a land or a cantrip. And I decided to keep a cantrip instead of the land because I wanted to look at more cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, this is one of another one of situations where they say, Hey, you know, if you keep the land, then you're guaranteed to hit your third land drop for your show and tell. Um, which I don't know. I, I'm not sure what I think about that it- either. Especially against the Delver decks, like those are the decks where I least want to hit my like turn three show and tell right off the bat because then you're just playing face first into days. Right. Like yeah. a- anytime I go against a days deck, it's not get to three lands for show and tell; it's get to four lands for show and tell. Yeah. So, I mean, keeping the land there is good, but like the the, I think the cantrip works better in your favor as far as just setting yourself up for the the more mid rangey because. Like I've I've just been burned so many times just jamming it face first into a daze that like whenever I'm versing a Delver deck I I pretty much always play around daze because yeah. you know even game two they're probably gonna keep their dazes in like you don't you just don't board out counter magic against show and tell right yeah I mean and I, I yeah I agree totally feel the same way um, but yeah I mean the, the last game uh, he he resolved a uh, library. And got a Delver in play, and then I was able to get a Gristlebrand in play uh, off off of Boseju. So it was a pretty weird situation where, like, if I was out of cards and I was low enough where I couldn't draw, or so 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 I couldn't draw off the Gristlebrand. So it was like if he untapped and got an Oko and took my Gristlebrand, I was going to be screwed. Um, yeah. That's the only thing I don't like about Oko being added to the deck. Like usually, it makes the deck much slower. But it used to be back in the day, if you resolve Grizzlebrand against Rug Delver, they just scooped. They yeah, just that was they it. they don't have an answer for it. And now with Oko, they actually do. Yeah, yeah. So and it, it was kind of I, I could have played the turn a little bit differently and used my mana differently. Uh, but I was kind of trying to play around 
you know, uh, trying to play around what if he has a counter and, you know, how do I recover? And I think it's maybe, maybe there when he's just relying on Sylvan Library and only has, you know, one or two cards left, I should be, you know, being more aggressive and, you know, if I fizzle out, I fizzle out. Um, but it ended up working out. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't draw anything. He didn't get the Oko. Um, so we got him with the Gristlebrand. Nice. Sweet. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Great to beat beat Rug Delver twice. Definitely feel like I mean, it's 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 definitely in their definitely in their favor. So it was great to beat it twice for sure. For sure. And now in the finals, you're versing friend of the cast, Adam Wallace on Elves. I apologize. I apologize, Adam. I I almost <laughs> when we got paired. You know, I thank you, thank you, thank you for beating the uh, Death and Taxes player. That was lovely. And uh, when I saw it was paired, I was like, oh man, you know, like I hope it's an interesting game. But like, obviously, I just want to like smash. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, I felt bad going into. I was like, man, because it's it's really hard for elves to beat the show and tell deck. Yep. Don't feel too bad. Adam actually bought, uh, beat me. He was playing Elves and I was playing Seek and Show, and he beat me in a uh, Star City Games feature match. And he lowered my my uh, cognitive ability with his uh, his charming guiles. You know, <laughs> we're we're playing it like we're playing like a, like a round two F and M, and then I'm thinking about it, like I probably should have taken that a bit more serious, considering it was like round six at an SCG. <laughs> wow. And he, uh, yeah, he ended up uh, cabal therapying and then surgical extracting my uh, my show and tells, so I wasn't or no my emeralds. Yeah, yeah, he, he cabal therapied and sh- surgical extraction my emeralds and ended up winning the game. So don't feel too bad about Adam. He had it coming. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I could deliver a little bit of payback for you. Uh, exactly. Sh- he- make make sure you Adam knows you know where where he stands on the food chain with show and tell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's at the it's at the bottom. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he, he definitely uh, he definitely did his very best to cabal therapy all my stuff. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and we went to three games, so we did you know we did play three games, uh, and they were interesting. Uh, there was definitely a lot to talk about. Um, you know, in the second and third games, you don't have to the sideboard. Definitely much different game. People people just make it out that sneak and show is just like an absolute blowout. Like you just crush elves, and while I definitely think it's favored in sneak and show's favor. Elves is not defenseless in this matchup. Like, there are plenty of times when Elves has, has squeaked the win out because, like, just looking at the sideboard, like, the three Cabal Therapy, which is effectively six in a deck with this many creatures, and the two Thoughtseize, like, yeah. if they if they get a discard-heavy hand, they can just pick you apart. Yeah, and the Allosaurus Shepherd is a giant pain in the ass. I mean, you yes. can't you can't do anything <laughs> about this card. That card is such a oh, like I I actually lost to Elves playing blue green the other day, and he like I countered their uh, natural order, and then they played Allosaurus Shepherd. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then they glimpse of nature and put a bunch of uh, elves in play. I'm like, okay, this is still fine. And then like I pass turn, and then they untap, go Gaius Cradle, tap it. Play a, uh, uh, they tap the Gaius Cradle they had in play, play a second Gaius Cradle, tap that, and then Allosaurus Rider double pump their team. And I'm just like, oh, wow, I actually oh, no. just lost this game out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that card's ridiculous. Like, pumping your team, making stuff uncounterable, it's just totally, totally ridiculous. Um, he had that card in two of the three games on one, and it was it was a giant pain in the butt. Uh, and... and in games two and three, you're just playing this game of like, when do I pyroclasm? Yeah. Because 
you would think like, oh yeah, you're going to pyroclasm, if you pyroclasm them, they're toast, but that's just not the case. Like, no. <laughs> you know, if they've been drawing cards and like biding their time and not committing too much to the board, they can just glimpse and kill you. Also, your pyroclasm is never as good as you first think it's going to be because then they just like wirewood symbiote trick half their board back to their hands. Yeah, yeah, very, very annoying. I, I, I think that that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, I don't remember if it was game two or game three, but I pyroclasm and he got to bounce the Allosaurus Rider. I got his other couple of guys, but then he just had it again, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's weird picking your spots for that. Are, is tough. You don't want to get too low because then you if you if you need to be drawing cards with Gristlebrand, you don't have it, or like they just get get you low enough that like they can just tack you down with their dummies, uh, and, and you got you got skunked because you could have yeah. killed their guys and you just let them kill you. So. That's always the worst feeling, knowing that like you could have stopped them, but you waited for more value, and then that you waited too long, and they just get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's terrible. But you ended up uh, winning out, came out victorious in the end. Yeah, uh, we 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 managed to we managed to get him pretty good. Although he had, um, I, I I thought that he, he he made my heart jump because he had a crop rotation. And uh, I had in the back of my head, like, what if he can, like, crop rotation for Caracas? But he wasn't playing Caracas in his deck. <laughs> and, like, right. I, I had the deck list in front of me, but I, it was just been a long day, and I was really tired. And yep. he had this one man, and I'm like, oh, no. Uh, but then I realized, you know, like, oh, okay, he doesn't have Caracas in his deck. But that's yeah. a that's an oldie but a goodie that, you know, the Elves deck has done many times. Oh, uh, yeah. It's very sad. <laughs> Make Caracas great again. We haven't seen enough of it in the meta lately. Yeah, I want Sneak and Show to go back to the power level days where Sneak and Show players are running Caracas in their sideboard for other Sneak and <laughs> Show players. Like that's when you know you've reached max saturation of Sneak and Show. <laughs> yeah, that's um that's some mega inbreeding. I mean, you know, I've seen people calling for like get Grizzlebrand out of Legacy, and it's like, well, I mean, it'd be tough. Uh, You'd have to go to that blue version, I guess. It would be your only only real option. And not having Grizzlebrand is a real blow. Yeah, well, so some version of the... Like, even the blue-green version only runs a single Grizzlebrand. And I think it only runs that just because, like, it's too good not to. Like, you right, just, yeah. But it's it's not... In the blue-green version, it's not like what it is in the other versions. I, I do think, you know, if Grizzlebrand ever got banned, Show and Tell would, you know, lose a couple percentage points for sure, but it wouldn't be the back-breaking situation. I think it just goes to Cunning Wish being, like, the new yeah. primary win condition. Right, yeah. I mean, I, it, se- it seems like then you're just playing four Omniscience and maybe some Besiege use and, like, trying to do that thing. Yeah. Instead of, like, sneak, you know, if you can't sneak attack Gristlebrand, it's not nearly as good. Grizzlebrand's just, like, the most obvious perpetrator of why the deck is busted. Like, I feel like all the hate gets concentrated on Grizzlebrand, and I think that's a little unjust. <laughs> well, yeah. Now... That actually brings up a point I wanted to ask you, Andrew. Now, this seems to be a uh, something that kind of divides the Sneak and Show community. Half of the community seems to embrace it uh, tongue-in-cheek, and the other half seems to get very offended by it. Uh, how do you feel about being called an ape? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think that every time I get called an ape, right after I beat my opponent, I don't, ma- I don't mind it one bit. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, you just lost, so uh, say whatever you want. Um, but I, I, I think it's, I don't think it's fair to call anybody who's playing Force of Wills and Brainstorm an ape. I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of decisions to make when you, you know, when you have to cantrip and sculpt a hand and decide what to counter, when to counter. Um, sure, you win with a combo kill, but 
you know, going into Legacy, that was one of the things that appealed to me about this deck. I don't think that I've ever liked combo decks that don't have, like, a safety net. Yeah. I played Black Red Reanimator. I did not like it. Um, because it's like, if they do, you know, if they have something, I'm just like, oh, well, I guess I die. And I hated that. Um, so I've always, you know, been gravi- gravitated towards blue because it's like, okay, you've got Force of Will and, and you get some really powerful decision making when you have Brainstorms and Ponders in your deck. So, I don't know, I think that there's there's a lot of things to consider and there's I've had some really, really hard turns. So if people really think that uh, that Sneak and Show players are apes, I don't feel like they're, uh, I don't think that they're giving the decisions enough credit. And I, it's kind of surprising also because they're doing that same thing, right? They're, they're deciding yep. exactly what to counter, how to sculpt their hand, and they're just winning in a different way uh, than any yeah. one big shot. I think what people do is they they see the one turn where you go like Agent Tomb, Lotus Petal, Show and Tell, yeah. and recall and your opponent scoops, and they're like, that's how it is every time. That's yeah. the only way you ever win with the deck. Yeah. And it, they, they just think it negates like everything else that you do with the deck the other 99% of the time you play it. And, well, and especially with the Omniscience version, I mean, there's a lot more decision-making. Um, oh, yeah. yeah like, and do, the cut, Cutting Wish and all that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, lines you can take and things you can, what you should do when. I, I think, you know, you're right. I mean, the times you go for it on turn one, it's not. I mean, it's great to do. But, like, the times <laughs> when you get to go, like, Lotus Petal, Ancient Tomb, Show and Tell with Force Backup, like, that's not that often. You know, yeah. it's it's... Also, is that any different from going, like, turn one, Delver, Days, Wasteland, Wasteland, you're dead? <laughs> like... No, I don't see how different it is, yeah. I, I, and that, that's kind of my point, too. You know, you're doing the same thing over there. You're just, you're winning with, a you know, this little guy and then stripping all my resources, so. Yeah. Well, all right, I think we have the uh, the title for uh, the episode. We're going to call it uh, Apes Together Strong. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome, awesome. Well, coming up on an hour here, any kind of closing thoughts about the deck or just the legacy meta in general that you just wanted to let our listeners know about? Or do you stream or anything you want to let people know about? Uh, no, I don't stream. Um, tried it in the past. Um, did I, I, I work a lot. A uh, job that keeps me really busy, so I don't really have have time to do that. Um, as far as legacy metagame goes, I'm super interested to see how it continues to develop. I feel like this tournament had super diverse top eight and a lot of very interesting decks. And I like to see that. So I definitely feel super safe to just, um, you know, keep playing show and tell. I don't feel like it's in a bad position and I definitely want to try other versions of the deck. I think for anybody who is, you know, has got their pet deck that they play all the time, it's, it's always good to try other stuff. I definitely am going to try out this doomsday deck. It looks pretty cool. I I get, I definitely have to try it. It's Um, a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean, playing, playing other decks is, is big. Um, and I, this has been some of the biggest level up moments for me in Legacy were sitting down and playing with my friend who who absolutely is a master of uh, Grixis Delver mm-hmm. and just playing, you know, playing it from the other side and seeing why he does what he does. And it's uh, that kind of stuff is, is really valuable. So if you get a chance to do that with your friends, you should. Nice. See, you're lucky. All my friends just want to play these fringe decks that I'm never going to run into. <laughs> Let me tell you, my matchup against Pox is impeccable because <laughs> my friend Dan is the only deck he ever plays, and I've played hundreds and hundreds of Pox matchups. So I am well-versed on the Pox matchup from any deck and legacy side. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is get better friends, guys. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I proxy decks up all the time, so bring them and say, hey, play this today, you know? Yep. There you go. That's a good solution. That's a good solution. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, If people have questions, I know you're in the the Sneak and Show Facebook group. 
the real thing presentation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so you're in there. Uh, but other than that, if people want to get a hold of you to, you know, talk about the deck or just your thoughts, uh, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, I mean, the easiest one would obviously just be out on Twitter. Um, I am uh, turn to balance on Twitter, and if you search <laughs> for my name, I'll show up. Um, that's a holdover from when I played, uh, I played a deck in a Star City event, um, where you, uh, you suspend a greater Gargadon and then sack all your permanents and, and balance them. And oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. And so I did pretty well with the deck in an event and I, and I changed my handle and just decided to keep it. So. Nice. Um, yep, you can find me there. And I, I thought it, I thought it was you being a, a secret miracles player. Turn to no. counterbalance. <laughs> no, yeah, no actual actual balance. Uh, I mean, basically actual balance. So actual balance. Uh, actual balance. Yeah. So no, and uh, I would love to to talk to people about the deck or uh, or answer questions. I really, man, I really just look forward to getting back to where we can just go to events. I miss it For so sure. much. I mean, you know, and and uh, actually, for the first time yesterday, got to hang out with. Um, a bunch of my friends that I haven't seen really since April because we're all, you know, we're working and we're, you know, staying busy and we got kids and families and trying to stay safe. So um, we finally got, we're able to get together and, and play a little magic. And man, I just realized how much I miss it. So um, look forward to getting to know some of you guys and seeing you at legacy events uh, someday. Hell yeah. If you uh, ever want to make the trek out to New England for the Leaving a Legacy events, would uh, would love to have you out there. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. Let me know uh, when you decide to do one. Yeah, as, as, as soon as we get a vaccine. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Vaccine's at the door at the next LAL, guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on. It has been a blast talking about our favorite deck. Uh, and thank you to the listeners for putting up it. First Sneak and Show episode in two years, so you got to give it to me every now and then. It uh, seems like you've exercised a great deal of restraint. I have, I have, yes. I have. Uh, shout out to our awesome editor, Justin Lutz. Uh, he was actually the character model for Grizzlebrand. Fun fact about him. You know, he posed for that art. Uh, so if you're ever wondering what Justin looks like, he, he looks a lot like Grizzlebrand. Uh, with that, uh, Pat will be back next week for some more sweet legacy action. Until then, I hope you guys all stay safe out there. <laughs>
man's evolution, he's created the city and the motor traffic rumble. But give me half a chance and I'll be taken off my clothes.